I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show, especially those that are joining us. Loveline has changed their hours. We're now hanging out with you an hour before. So for our new listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Uh, you can, hey, we'll start in on what you can do. You can check out past episodes by going to uh, wearechannelq.com, scrolling down, seeing my little face, clicking on it. There they are. And uh, DMs, if any of you guys got a question for me, um, anything mental health related, and I mean that in the broadest, broadest sense, you can drop your questions in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Follow us. Um, lots of great stuff going on. We've got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about something that I think will save not just a lot of relationships, but uh, a ton of marriages. It's something that comes in all the time. People complaining about dun, 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 their partner's phone use. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that technology would take down so many relationships? But it doesn't have to. Technology is a neutral tool. And if we harness it for, for good, use it for good, all can be well. So we're going to talk about, I guess, essentially, it's phone etiquette. But it, more importantly, it's uh, some relational boundaries, some new ways to kind of make sure that we... Um, are really showing up fully with total presence to the relationships we're a part of, which is mandatory. I want people to put people first. People have to, our relationships, all the people in our lives, on our deathbeds when we look back, and a lot of studies have done this. They look at what are the things that people reflect back on, wishing they had done differently, and what are the regrets. It's always around experiences and people. It's never they wish they had worked more, worked harder, disconnected from friends and family, been more unavailable. It's the opposite. I wish I'd prioritized my husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, and I wish I'd lived more. And so part of the discussion around phones is being present in our lives, being present in our relationships. And as always, we're talking about setting boundaries on things like work and things that drain us and stress us out and just really focusing more on joy and pleasure and meaning. But stick around for the phone part, really important. And then um, we're going to be talking about the concept of essentially boundaries and self-care. And a really great meme was sent to me by our producer and she was saying, yo, unpack this. It was basically someone just asking about how some people will misuse um, self-care and boundary setting as a way to just not have to do anything, right? Like, sorry, can't make it to your birthday, boundary. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. So we'll be breaking that on down. But um, I wanted to open the show with some stuff that's going on in the news. Never, ever, ever dull. So CDC is talking now more in terms of COVID stuff about the fact that if you are vaccinated, you don't necessarily have to worry in the ways we thought you did about passing it along or carrying the infection. Also getting some updates on the length of time that the vaccines will protect us. We see those efficacy rates that are thrown out there anywhere from, I think, 65 to 95 percent. They're telling us now that might only be for about six months. And so just like every year, we have to get the 
flu vaccine for whatever that year's flu might be, we're going to have to possibly do the same thing for COVID. So it's not really just going to be about boosters as much as it might be yearly, yearly shots. But hey, that's what it takes to live our lives. That's what we're going to do. And also just sending my heart out, heart out, heartfelt love to uh, people over in, gosh, the UK and France and Canada and all these places that are still struggling, Brazil, and uh, going back down under different kinds of lockdowns. Man, we still haven't kicked this thing. And that's why everyone needs to stay put. Now is not the time to travel. Um, also interesting article, the dad bod. My dad bod is a big, sexy dating turn on. Well, what people are referring to as the dad bod is interesting, first off, because I've seen some people shame their bodies, um, which is really, really, really hard. I wish we weren't even assessing our bodies or using labels or categories. It's just a vehicle. Take care of it. But let's not put so much behind it. But nonetheless, we do. And I'm really glad that we're diversifying what is being seen as sexy or a turn on. This is an article out of the New York Post. I'm not diving that deep into it because it's a little ridiculous. But basically, it's looking at about the fact that three quarters of singles surveyed on dating.com say that they are turned on by not so chiseled bodies. Good. Because not everyone has or wants a standard gym body. Not everyone wants to go to the gym and work out. And that's cool. Do you. Be where you are. Focus on your mental health. Move. We need movement. We need movement all the time. But we don't need to starve ourselves and overtrain to look a certain way to feel desirable or successful in our lives. Uh, we are, we're leaving that kind of mess behind in uh, 2020. <laughs> More body neutrality in 2021. Just saying it is what it is. I'm eating what I'm eating, moving my body, getting some sunshine, getting out. And whatever that means is what it means. Um, also, we're tracking all the legalization of marijuana. Governor Cuomo, God bless him, there's a lot going on in that man's life. But on Wednesday of last week, he signed a bill that would legalize recreational marijuana use in, in New York State. Now, the reason why this is even bigger than just that is also, well, it makes New York City the fifth state along with D.C. to legalize recreational use. So that's awesome. But... Um, it's also about expunging past records. The bill would create, and this is a quote from Cuomo himself, the bill creates an automatic expungement of previous marijuana convictions that would now be legal. And that's historical because we know, and again, in the carceral system and especially around the war on drugs, it unfairly, unnecessarily further exploited black individuals and other individuals of color. And so that's a huge gain, but it's also a bigger part of civil rights and bigger than that human rights and really abolishing the prison system and the criminal injustice system, again, because it unfairly targets people, especially for stupid things like smoking weed or carrying some weed. Why was that ever something that would have someone have their entire life taken away from them and thrown away and locked away in jail? That's ridiculous. And if someone is struggling with addiction, which not everyone uses does, like 75% of people that use drugs don't have a problem. It's the small percentage that do. Those people need treatment, not punishment, right? All right, y'all, stick around. Coming up, we're going to talk about healthy cell phone use to save your relationships. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back, and uh, I'm about to save your marriage right here. <laughs> we're going to talk about cell phone use. I'm telling you, <laughs> I wait for it. I wait for it. Every couple at some point, even, you know, family members, loved ones, friends, the cell phone use. <laughs> I'm telling you, who knew that one of the single most, uh, you know, important technological developments, cell phones and all that they provide, would both enhance our lives and also be so detrimental to our relationships and our mental health. So, you know, it's important to talk about what does healthy cell phone use look like in terms of the relationships we're in? And there's definitely uh, some tips, tricks, or thoughts that I give to all my clients to help them really navigate it better. 
again, cell phones are neither all good or all bad. It's like anything else. It's, it's the way you, you utilize it. It's the relationship you have with it. And these things are neutral. Technology is neutral. We, we decide how we bring it into our lives and what the boundaries are. And, and, you know, we have to check in on our mental health. I talk about it all the time, the Dr. Chris check-in before, during, and after. However we feel before something, right, knowing it's coming or when someone's calling us, how we feel during, while using, or while with, and then how do we feel afterwards? And we have to check in on that. If your mental health is not great, I always tell people don't go on social media, right? Um, and also just checking in on the kinds of things you're following. How do you feel while looking at it? How do you feel afterwards? Neutral to better is what I want. And if it makes you feel bad, unfollow it. And a lot of people are following things that make them feel bad. That is not our topic though. Our topic is about how a lot of relationality, whether it's family or friends, these cell phones can become what we call an intimacy blocker. And that is anything, laptops, televisions, um, all sorts of things that really don't allow us to be fully connected or present with someone. Uh, again, eye contact and shared intentional time together is what makes us feel really connected. But a lot of people use cell phones, television, laptops, and a lot of other things as a way to be partially present. If we can't make eye contact with someone, then we are not present or building intimacy, period. And that's why we have to decide. Right? Which one do we want to give our attention to? But I'm not a fan of multitasking. It is not possible. Uh, we've talked about why. We're not, but again, it's that eye contact. If you can't make full eye contact with someone, you're not fully present. And then it's that second piece about shared experience. Right? Even if we're cooking together, right, we're still having a shared experience. We're still accessible because I can turn to you and get your attention. I can say something. You'll hear me. We're both witnessing the same thing. Even if your back is to me because you're at the sink and my back is to you and I'm at the stove, it's still a shared experience. We're still in it together. We're still available and accessible. Television can sometimes be like that. We're watching a show or movie together. I can touch you. I can turn and look at you. You can look at me. Shared experience. We can talk about what we're seeing. That's what we want to build. Uh, but cell phones are not that. We're having two separate experiences. We are not sharing the experience. It is not intentional time together, and we can't make any eye contact. In fact, we dart back and forth, or we talk while looking at something else. And I tell you, people will say it all the time as they're on their phone to look at an email. I can hear you. I'm still listening. No, you can't. No, you're not. You're not able to listen. You can hear me, but you're not able to listen. Listen means presence and embodiment. And I've told you that I make people very frustrated because I say things like, no, I'll wait. Because when someone picks up their phone, I stop. I will not be given partial attention. I just let them have full attention with what they're going for, the phone or whatever, and I'll wait. That's the boundary I set for myself because I deserve better. But instead of saying me, 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 I usually just say, all right, do what you're doing and then I'll, I'll wait. It frustrates people because it's really calling out something problematic. It shouldn't frustrate people, but it's a, it's a little bit of a wake up call. So let's just start there for a second. So we're gonna talk about the perspectives that I give people. I give them a few quote unquote rules, you know, ideas to work around. But before we get into what those are specifically, I just wanna keep talking about the fact that, you know, again, cell phones don't have to be something that make our lives worse. <laughs> and we can apply what we're talking about to anything, right? Uh, people first, always. People first, human beings first. And I want people to come before cell phones. I want people to come before an email. Most of these things aren't even things that are acute or a crisis. Uh, we're not waiting for an acute crisis-oriented time-sensitive email or you know, a DM on IG, right? But yet, 
there's a human being in front of us, spending time with us, trying to connect to us, trying to be with us, and we'll somehow dishonor them, deprioritize them for a random like on our IG or a random DM that we could maybe have read five hours from now or a week from now and it would have changed nothing, or an unimportant email, which most of them are. You can set boundaries with everything, your boss, your work, your family members, Netflix, uh, life insurance. I don't know of any email that can't wait. You're allowed to be unavailable at times because you're sleeping in the shower or dun da dun drum roll with a human being, a friend, a family member, right? People first, people come before everything. And that's what I'm always saying. Wow, you really make your cell phone and checking Twitter or DM that you just got on Twitter, that's more important than your daughter who you're standing there spending time with? Really? You believe in that as your ethics? You wanna, re, you wanna reinforce that? Or that it means more than your colleague who's talking to you or your friend who's sitting at lunch with you? But that's what we're communicating, directly and indirectly. This means more. And this thing on my phone that I'm gonna look at, which really doesn't have any value, but we're a little impulsive. We've been trained Pavlovian style that the minute we hear or whatever it is that we need to go look and be accessible. That's not true. And you need to learn how to start setting boundaries with your cell phone use. Again, neutral tool that we've really turned into something that has a little bit of a destructive nature and negative impact on our relationships and also our mental health, right? But there are ways that we can start to fold it in that make it more neutralized or productive. And these are some tips and ideas that we can share with those around us, right? Because a lot of people aren't even aware of the impulsiveness and the lack of boundaries around their phones, or they're not aware of what a better or new way of relating to them is, right? And again, you can apply this to anything in your life that might be a little bit of an intimacy buffer, but I'll always say that mental health is relational health, and relationships are the most important thing we have before anything else. You know, we, we will not, you know, isolation, disconnection is psychologically toxic and physically toxic. Um, so we wanna prioritize that. The loss of technology has no impact on you. You'll survive. Some people, in fact, don't even have cell phones. I've thought at times of not necessarily getting rid of it, but really spending time without it, going out into the world and leaving it home. You know. All right, we're gonna take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about tips and ways to better use your phone. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about technology. Boom, boom, boom. Yep, it's the one thing that's gotten in the way of our mental health and a lot of our relationships. But cell phones don't have to be something that has to take us down. But we do have to first know that we have to change our relationship to them. We have to change uh, and deal with our impulses and our boundaries around them. Because why? People first. And again, we're going to get into the, the ideas, but just know that it's available eye contact, and if we can't make eye contact, full sustained eye contact, then we're not present or intimate with them, and also shared intentional time together. Those are the two things that we need to build if you wanna feel close or present with anyone, children, family, loved ones. That's also why long distance relationships can sometimes feel really hard, because you have to really find new, innovative ways to build those things in. So, what are the tips, tricks, and things that I give to people that help them better use their cell phone? Okay, number one, we talked about it, is people first. When in doubt, if you're talking to a human being and your phone rings or dings, you continue to talk and attend to the human being in front of you. Let it go to voicemail. You can check that email, that DM or whatever it is later, in a minute, in, in an hour, in a day, it doesn't matter. But if you're in the middle of connecting with someone, you continue to. You don't say, wait a minute and attend to your phone because whatever's coming in isn't more important, unless it is. 
And if you know that you are expecting something important coming in, say that on the front end. Hey, listen, it's great to see you. Hold on one second, before we get in anything, just wanna give you a quick heads up. I'm waiting on a phone call, so if the phone rings, I'm gonna to have to check it. Call it out, call it out. That's the best thing you can do. Let them know what might happen. I'm doing a lot of therapy via Skype. I let people know if I'm expecting an important phone call or knock on the door. At the beginning of the session, hey, just to let you know before we jump in and begin, I am waiting for a phone call or someone is coming by and I might have to stop for a second. You call it out. That's what we do in confidence, okay? That's number one, so we call it out. People first is actually the first point, always. People should always come first. Get your phone later, right? Not, and that's even what we do in retail. If the phone rings, you're supposed to attend to the person that you're in the middle of helping at the register. You don't put that, you don't say to that person, hold on a second, I have to get this random phone call, I don't know what it's about. So people first. Number two, call it out ahead of time. Hey, this is what might happen. I say that in any way I can about any space I'm in. If I'm, regardless of what I'm doing, I let people know what might need to happen. Okay, then the third thing is frame it. If you feel the need because of whatever reason to pick up your phone and look at something, you let them know that that's what you're doing. Don't in the middle of a conversation or doing something with someone, just pick it up arbitrarily and start looking. You always say, give me a minute, I'm gonna go on my phone. That, that you call out that transition so people don't feel abandoned, ignored, or not important. If you're in the middle of a conversation with someone and you say, hey, give me a minute, I need to go on my phone, that will make them feel cared for and respected versus just you're in the middle of saying something and all of a sudden they pick up their phone and they're looking at it. That's very rude and distressing and disrespectful, right? Okay, the other thing is, and these all kind of tie in together a little bit, is a rule that I've given to people even when they're by themselves so they can work on retraining the primacy and the impulse control around their phones. Ready for this one? It's called one thing at a time. No longer will you multitask. So here's what it looks like, and this is how we practice. We practice when we're on our own. If I'm laying on my couch watching a TV show, and I decide, for whatever reason, incoming call, a ding that I got a text message, or just I feel like going on my phone, I pause the movie or the show, and I'm acknowledging openly, so I'm framing it, I'm calling it out, and I go on my phone. I don't try to keep watching or letting the movie play. I acknowledge that I'm transitioning. I frame it, I call it out like I said, one thing at a time. All those factors come in here. And I look on my phone. When I'm done, I turn my phone off or I flip it over, I turn back and I put back on the movie or the show. I'm not letting myself multitask anymore. Because A, we know neurologically, you can't focus deeply at two th on two things at once. And that the transition back and forth actually creates errors, issues, and isn't as competent as full attention on one thing at a time. So I don't let myself do two things at once. If I'm cooking, I'm cooking. I'm present with my thoughts, the music I'm listening to, the food. I don't need to be filling in the gap of the two seconds before I stir the pasta again by looking at my IG. You're still bringing in a lack of impulse control, boundaries, and you're just amping up all the arousal, more, more. No, I'm off my phone, I'm cooking. When I'm done cooking, if I need to look at my phone, I'll then look at my phone, but not till I'm done cooking, I am busy. You know what I mean? One thing at a time. If I'm in the supermarket, I'm in the supermarket. I don't need to be also looking at my phone while in line. Just be in line. Learn how to just be present one thing at a time. I'm in line, I'm at the supermarket, I'm just people watching and thinking and I'm feeling and I'm present. I don't need to also be on my phone. I don't need to disconnect, I don't need to disconnect. I don't need to add another layer of something. I can just be in the moment. 
we're training ourselves how to just be present, but we're also training how to have impulse control, delaying and having boundaries around social media and phone use, right? One thing at a time. And then finally, for those that struggle even more, I tell them, have designated areas for phone use. That's helped a lot of people. They plug in their phone, they leave it in their bedroom or the office. And if they need to use their phone, they go in there to use it and they leave it there. You don't need to be checking it while you're with your family members out in the living room or watching television. You're, you're doing something, you're watching television, you're napping, you're with your family members, you're eating, you're, you're cooking. If you need your phone, go into the other room where your phone is, stand there, do what you need to do while you're there, and then go back. That's a way to train ourselves to be able to tolerate time away from the phone. We don't need to always have access to it. That's part of this work, right? And sometimes I tell people, get an old school alarm clock. So you're not waking up and checking your phone. Your phone's in another room. So when you wake up, you're just present. You're with yourself. We'll keep talking about this stuff. It's really, really, really important. But uh, coming up next, gonna be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris. My name is Aaron, and I'm a single mom with two kids. My husband died about three years ago, and I'm just finally feeling ready, excuse me, to maybe date again. My kids are 14 and 12, and have both said they wouldn't welcome someone new into the home, and I don't know how to change their minds to make them more open. Do I just have to be alone until they're out of the house? First off, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Um, you are now a you know single parent. And I can't imagine what kind of new complexities that might bring into your life. Also a lot maybe of beauty at times, but some new complexities and stress. Three years is a long time. At the same time, it's not at all. My dad died a little bit around that amount of time. And to me, it feels still like yesterday. You know, we're forever impacted by that. Um, your children don't have to be okay with you dating. You know, I want you to first hear that. And no, you don't need to always be alone. And also know that their thoughts about it now will change. They miss their dad. They can't conceive of who this new person might be. And you might wind up dating and, and get serious with or marry even someone who's just as great or even greater. And they'll come to learn to appreciate that. But we can't always make decisions around pleasing our children. We also get to please ourselves. And I understand they don't want someone brought in the home, but maybe that doesn't happen for a long time. You can date and they don't need to know you're dating. Or maybe they do know you're dating, but again, it's very much out there. You meet your date out and you leave your date out. Your children don't need to really encounter it or be forced into that. But I would start before you jump out and start dating to lay the groundwork saying, I know it's something you're not okay with. I know you don't understand, but it's something that I'm going to do. It's something that's right for me. And they learn to accept that. Children have to learn to accept all different kinds of things that parents decide is right for themselves. To take a new job, uh, to change the family budget, where we go on vacation or not at all. If we relocate and they have to change schools, that happens all the time. People move to a different city for a job or for something else and children have to change schools. They don't want to do that, but they'll be okay. But they don't get to weigh in on your love life. They don't get to weigh in on your relational life. They don't even, they don't even need to like the person you're dating. You get to make decisions for you. They will learn to find their place within that. And I would say try to find someone who might enjoy children and could form a relationship with them. But start to let them know that you will be dating. Hold space for them to share their thoughts and feelings about that. Just because they don't approve or aren't comfortable doesn't mean it's a bad move. And it doesn't. They're going to be acting from their fear and anxiety as expected. I understand that. But that doesn't mean it's a bad move. And no, you don't need to be single forever. No one needs to be if they don't want to be. 
And if they do want to be, that's cool too. But we can't always live our lives making other people happy. There's so many versions of this. People thinking, oh, my parents wouldn't approve if they weren't a certain religion or a certain race. You are dating for you because you want that and you deserve that. It doesn't, we don't have to make other people happy with our decisions. I can't tell you how many decisions I've made in my life that other people didn't support that I made anyway because it made it was right for me. And people often live from their anxiety and their fear. And these aren't what this isn't for them. This is about you. So you do it anyway. You have my full support. You know, for children, they can't fathom or imagine anything, anything other than what they've been raised with for whatever you said your children's ages were 11 to 14. That's a long time. And I can understand where they miss their dad and they're thinking maybe in terms of replacement or, or even worse, that that means somehow their dad doesn't exist anymore. And so that's what you start to let them know, that we will still talk about dad. We will still have photos of him up in the house. We will still discuss him, right? He'll still be present. This person's an addition. It's not a replacement. It's not to erase what was. We're adding. It's more love. And you deserve that. You deserve companionship. You deserve love. And again, it's okay to let people down. It is when it's in our best interest, but start to let them know that that's going to happen so they can get familiar with that. But take time before you introduce them, you know, go out, do your thing, move slow or at the rate of speed that makes sense for you. And they'll be okay. I promise you they'll be okay. They'll survive this, but you don't need for them to move out of the house because even then that doesn't promise that they're going to be okay with it. Right. And they don't even now living at the home necessarily have to encounter or spend time with this person, not for a while. So take care of yourself. You deserve it. Um, all right, y'all, we're going to take a little break, a break. And, uh, when we come back, we're going to do a little couples therapy as well as talking about a misuse of self-care and boundaries, because people have sometimes weaponized that to really not show up and be a great friend. So we're also going to be unpacking that topic. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMS. And uh, you can check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on my face, binge, post, share. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, time to do a little couples therapy. So let's remember this year we're moving into putting people first. Um, the relationships in our lives have to be centered, prioritized. It's, 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 um, not surprising the way we kind of you know set our culture up in terms of priorities, but um, it's disappointing that people don't always make the connection that whatever we treat as not primary or important is is going to feel not primary or not important. It's going to feel uh, less significant. It's going to feel more distant. And understandable is that people in our lives who we don't prioritize aren't, are, are going to feel that, and they're going to kind of reflect that back. I work with far too many couples where one of them will say, you know, geez, I, I want to be able to work these long hours or I want to put my time and energy into whatever said thing is. And and somehow I magically want my friends, my my partner and my kids to feel important or meaningful to me. But I don't want to actually make them a center point or put them before something. But I still want them to feel as though they are. It doesn't work like that. I've, I've had to tell people as hard as it might be, you cannot keep the job you have and and have your family members feel close, important, and connected to you. You can't both have that full social schedule, all those hobbies, or whatever it is, and also maintain your marriage. Yes, in a healthy relationship, whoever we're relating to, they do have to allow space for us to have other you know, needs, interests, and whatnot, but 
people have to come first and and we're no longer signing off on missing our child's birthday party or sports game because of work or because of a hobby or because of whatever it is. We have to put people first. My book, Rebel Love, my second book, I have a whole chapter where we have to put compassion before capitalism. Yes, we have bills to pay. Yes, we have a job to do, but the people in our lives have to come first. And we have to set harder boundaries, uh, different boundaries with our friends, different boundaries with our bosses and our jobs, and even sometimes with our friends. I said that. Maybe our hobbies, whatever it is. There are some people that maybe prioritize going to the gym and working out or whatever it is over being present in their lives. Um, Just maybe even going on a date, um, whatever it is. So when we talk about relationships, your relationship will get what you put in. You will get out what you put in. And, and the feelings that are there and the closeness is going to be related to that. So what are some of the things we can do every single week? That's right. If we can schedule and prioritize everything else that's meaningful in our lives, why can we not do that for significant individuals, right? We plan holidays. We plan vacations. They still provide everything we want them to even having it down on paper, knowing when we're going and maybe where we're going while we're there. Still fun, still amazing. Relationships often take that as well. We have busy lives. It's okay to plan and build in these things. You will still get meaning and value out of your presence and in showing up fully, even if it's on the calendar. So I wanna just call that out. When I talk about scheduling, planning, setting time aside, Sometimes people say, like, oh, I, you know, I want to be more spontaneous. There's very little in our lives that is spontaneous, and still things are able to bring us joy and meaning. So what are some things we need to do uh, every single week to, yeah, that's right, prioritize people in our lives, especially relationships? Well, number one, you don't have to make these gigantic grand gestures, and I, and I like to bring that up around, you know, holidays like Valentine's Day, but even, you know, if you celebrate Christmas or if you do celebrate birthdays, not everyone does, uh, you know, it's not often the money that's spent or the grandiosity of it as much as it's the thought or the care or the attention or even the time. And I know for me personally, truly mean this, me being thought of is what's meaningful. Someone taking the time is what means something to me. I don't care about the money spent, right? In fact, I say the opposite often. Please don't spend a lot of money because that's not what the point is, right? When we're trying to prioritize someone, make them important, get them a gift or whatever it is, the money should be irrelevant because that doesn't speak to level of interest. In fact, I think it's often an overcompensation, right? I'd rather just have people prioritize others and make that meaningful enough. So it's even like when we talk about self-care, the most meaningful, important, transformative elements of self-care are free things, setting boundaries, saying no, centering joy and pleasure, taking time to self. It's really basic stuff. And relationships are the same way. So it doesn't need to be these grandiose, uh, demonstrations of love or care or commitment doesn't need to be something with a lot of money spent. In fact, I prefer people not spending a lot of money on that. I'm one of the rare people that thinks engagement rings should be again rooted in thoughtfulness. If you go that route, it should not be tied to a certain percentage of someone's income. And it also puts an unfair pressure on the man or the person who's more masculine in the relationship. A lot of men don't receive anything back, right? And it's okay for us to say, look, we're shifting the way we're orienting our relationship, but more meaningful, love is not expressed in terms of finance. It just isn't. That's that's consumerism, that's capitalism. It's not about that. What we really need in terms of true relational health and relational psychology is trust, safety, care, and attention. And none of that is demonstrated with money. It just isn't. It's demonstrated with being made to feel special, having time set aside and attention. And so remember that we're talking about very, very basic things. And I call that out because some people will say, you know, 
there's privilege and all that. And I'm talking about things that are very basic and low level, you know, something that we can all kind of accommodate. Uh, we're gonna take a little break. And when we come back, gonna keep doing some couples therapy, talking about some of the things we need to do to prioritize our relationships and keep them feeling close, fresh and connected. Um, so stick around. We'll be back. And then, of course, we'll be closing out with some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're doing a little couples therapy. Uh, talking about things we can do to prioritize individuals in our lives. I'm using the entry point of uh, maybe a romance partner, right? Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. But this always applies to everyone. And we're just talking about how it's not grandiose gestures. It's not about money, right? That's tied to consumerism. That's that's overcompensation. It's really about the psychological needs being met. Someone feeling important. Someone feeling prioritized. Care, trust, safety, presence, attention. So we're just saying that um, you don't have to think big. We're talking small. That's the beauty, right? Something else my mom said that I thought was really meaningful. I was um, struggling <laughs> to get flowers delivered to her on her exact birthday, which fell on a Sunday. And the local florist, a local florist out where my mom lives just doesn't deliver on Sundays. God bless them. And uh, yeah, so it was a battle. Anyway, long story short, my mom said to me, and she really meant this, uh, and I know that I know her, and I know how she sees the world. She said, you know, it means a lot to me that you tried, because you thought of me. And that means as much as actually receiving the flowers, right? Is, yeah, sure, it's nice to get them, and to have them, to smell them, to see them, to be reminded of you. But like knowing that you tried, that that makes me know you care. And, and that kind of handles that. And she said, but bigger than that, uh, thank you for thinking of me on my birthday. She said, however, if, if I were to receive flowers on a random off day, that would mean more because I knew that I that you were really thinking of me without that structured designated birthday, right? Which is a great time to acknowledge me, but just to know that on a random Wednesday, you were thinking about me and had flowers sent to me or whatever, that means even more. And so, and then she also said a third piece, which I think is a really important gem for everyone to walk away with, which is she said, I also don't need you to send me flowers on my birthday to know that you love me. Because that's really what the question becomes about when someone maybe forgets our birthday or doesn't get us something we wanted is, do I feel like they love me? And if you know the answer is yes, well then we let it go and we're bigger than that one moment. But people that make it about that one moment as though someone's a total, the, the totality of their love for you is literally reduced down to and only shown by whether or not they remembered your birthday and what they got you, you have bigger problems, you really do. Like your ego's really in the way and you're thinking in a very materialist way and you're not being kind. And it's almost communicating something to the person who maybe let you down and forgot your birthday that your your priorities are off and that you're not really in it for love and trust and safety. Because if you know someone loves you, you don't wanna make them feel bad for letting you down. You don't need to make it a bigger deal than it is, right? And your love has been shown in other ways. My mom said that, she's like, I know you love me. And you show me that all the time in other ways. And so I don't make this one day all about that. And for those where it is about that, why don't you demand love more often or more consistently? If it's so reduced down to this one day and the one thing they do, well then what about the rest of the time? What, what must be missing then? You know what I mean? Like there's so much we can learn when we really interrogate why we feel the way we feel and why we make the deal we make. Because it shows what kind of partner we are, it shows the world and our partner what our priorities are, and it matters on both sides, right? It's not just, well, it's my birthday, so only my thoughts about how whatever goes down goes down matters. It's like, no, your partner's also learning a lot about you as well based on how you handle disappointment, frustration, or just the general topic of love. So I digress, but we're talking about thinking small. 
Also, I'm a big fan of people asking. I don't like mind reading when they say things like, people should know. Well, no, people live busy lives. Sometimes they misunderstand. Um, and sometimes they don't really know where your head's at. It's okay to tell someone, look, I felt disconnected all week. It would mean a lot to me if you somehow prioritized us or planned something. And then you can still have all the value and meaning when you then get exactly what it is you asked for. I'm a big fan of that kind of transparency. Ask for what you want and be very thankful when you then get it. Because the fact that they knew when you told them and then they did it, that has meaning. Because not everyone is very thoughtful. I'm not great at gift giving. And so I would be really bummed if someone, again, reduced down the totality of how I feel about them to, to my gift giving skills, which are horrible, right? Like I express love best in other ways, you know? And so we always have to think like, what's going on for this other person or what might their skill set be? Or, or, or is maybe this an area that they're not great at and I can't use this as the you know, thermometer or barometer for how they feel about me, right? We gotta let go of that a little bit. So again, we're asking for what our needs are. We're telling people. Not everyone even celebrates every holiday. So it's important to be like, hey, thanks, or excuse me. It's important to say something like, hey, Valentine's Day means a lot to me. You know, not everyone thinks in those terms. I, I know a friend who, it's important for them to tell potential dates how much their birthday means to them. Because birthdays aren't a big deal for everyone. But I have a friend who it's a huge deal. And he needs to make it clear to people. Because if you're gonna have that expectation, you need to let people know what the expectation is. Because again, not everyone celebrates holidays at all or values them, you know, or knows how to really show up for them. But it's about frequency as well. So that's the other thing I'm constantly reminding couples and telling them like, hey, in the past week, I'll say, when did you set aside time that was literally and exclusively only about the two of you connecting and bonding? Because it's got to happen every week. Consistency matters. And again, your life is definitely not in balance if once a week, you can't at least carve time for two hours for the two of you to do something rooted in joy and pleasure and connection, whatever it might be. If your schedule cannot allow for two hours, we, we have a problem. Yes, some of that's built on privilege, depending on people's work schedules, right? And amount of labor that their family members and their job, whatever other levels and ways of care that are given, I appreciate that. But if that's the case, fine. But if it's just, I was busy working or I was busy at the gym and or whatever else, that is not acceptable because people have to come first. And so if the answer is, I, is always, I put something else before people, we gotta reorient that. But it's consistency. Um, and also kind of tied to that, and I think that this is actually valuable and we've, we've discussed it a little bit because I think this is something every couple should do at least every couple months, and you can build this into that weekly date, is again, uh, doing a little bit of a check-in. How's this well, bigger, or at least once a year? How's the past year been in our relationship? What do we need to change or work on? But week by week ain't bad either. You know, how'd the week go? How'd you feel? And again, always closing out with love. That's always the thing. We don't use this as a way to walk away feeling bad. We have to have an honest conversation, but at the end of it, kind of seal it off with a little bit of love. Good luck, good luck, good luck, y'all. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> this is tough stuff sometimes. Goddamn for us though, drop it in our Loveline IG page because uh, we're gonna be back hanging out a bit and uh, then closing out with the DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. Uh, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. So just a little reminder, if you got a question for us, Put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Always open, doctors in, anything you're wondering about, ask us. Whatever you're uh, 
pondering, someone else might be wondering about it as well. So happy to help everyone. Um, and as always, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they are. So I love this uh, topic because I got a text from my show producer. Shout out to Alex, who does an amazing job producing Loveline. And um, I thought this was really great. She had seen a meme and she said, hey, can you talk about this? Because I myself have wondered this, had conversations about this. And I think it's really important. So you might've seen the initial one. <clears throat> it basically said, um, normalize canceling plans without an excuse. I just don't feel like it anymore. And it's really kind of centered around the whole piece about, you know, we're setting boundaries now, we're doing self-care. Um, it's okay to some acknowledge that a plan that was made is no longer really good for you or your mental health. Uh, maybe it was something that you didn't feel comfortable saying no to and you said yes. And then there was a follow-up, right? So the initial again said, normalize canceling plans without an excuse, right? I'm a big fan of not giving excuses always. We don't always have to explain ourselves. But then the follow-up, the response from someone was, this is why a lot of you have no friends. You hide your mannerless behavior under the guise of self-care. I think that's actually very an important insight. And I don't think that this person is wrong. I think that there's a severe possibility of weaponizing, misusing, even playing the victim at times for uh, requests from others, uh, things we've committed to doing. So I think it's a really important thing to unpack. I think that, I think it's nuanced. I think it's complex. I don't think there's a simple answer, but <clears throat> I think this is important. And this came up, there was another um, kind of meme or idea that went viral. And it was this similar idea of, if you're going to reach out to someone, call them, text them, or email them asking them for time, like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with something, I wanna get your advice. They were saying, also say like, is now a good time? Hey, is it okay if I reach out about needing some advice right now? Do you have the bandwidth for that? Do you have the energy? Do you have the time? And the person who put this concept out there was just trying to say like, hey, we have to acknowledge that other people are living their lives. And even though you might have a pressing need on Tuesday morning, that whoever you might be thinking about reaching out to, they're also maybe in the middle of something going on in their Tuesday morning, right? It's never as simple as why isn't my priority everyone else's priority, right? Like I've talked about this. Unfortunately, the weekend you're getting married might be the weekend someone's having surgery or the weekend that they got laid off and they're depressed. And yes, that does need to come before your wedding or whatever it is, right? Like your priorities are not going to always be someone else's. They don't need to be. And so I love this idea. Like are people misusing the concept of boundaries and self-care and emotional labor and being unavailable. And again, here's, here's how I start to dissect it. It really becomes somewhat of the honor system because the whole reason why we're talking about things like whatever it is, you, however you want to label all this, is for people to start checking in with themselves and saying, listen, am I overextending myself? Am I burning myself out? Am I not prioritizing my mental health? Am I not setting boundaries? Am I not asking to get paid appropriately for my labor? Because there's a lot of people wanting free labor. I'm constantly having people try to find backdoor ways to get free therapy out of me. And it's like, that's what I do for my profession. Um, and, it, and it's very emotionally exhausting and taxing. And after doing days of it, it's, it's very hard to then step back into that. So we have to start with ourselves. Um, I, I have to hold everyone accountable. And we're always, always assessing ourselves before assessing others. So let me ask you all, do you misuse it? Do you use it as a way to just get out of having to be a good friend? If so, stop doing that because being a friend is about presence. Being a friend is about offering emotional care and support and intimacy. That's, that, that's, what, that's how we build and maintain friendship, right? 
often we love spending time together when it's rooted in joy, fun, and pleasure. But what what makes us feel really like we can trust them and like we've really connected deeply is often when we share our more vulnerable, transparent, broken parts. And so I don't want us to normalize uh, saying no or shutting down any request for our time, emotionality, or presence. We need to, we have to offer that even more so than I think we ever did because I want everyone to have collective responsibility, community care, mutual aid, where we are responsible for other people. Yes, if your neighbor needs help, yes, go help them. If you see someone being abused or, or taken advantage of, step in. That is called care. That's called activism. That's called social justice. It's called a thousand different things, but we need to do that. We do have to look out for each other, truly. So that's the starting point. Like, call yourself out. Am I just not wanting to be a good friend? If so, step up and pull together. But if truly something's going on and it's a mental health thing, well then, yeah, you have to be able to say, unfortunately, I'm not available to that, period, end of story. And then we have to flip it. If you feel like you have a friend that all of a sudden is never available, never prioritizes you, you have to lovingly ask them what's going on. Not accusatorily, because we don't know what's going on, but there's a place to say, hey, listen, I noticed that you're not as available as you used to be, or I miss spending time with you. Like, I think that's a beautiful, soft way of eliciting this conversation. I miss spending time with you. When are you available, right? Or I noticed that often when I ask you to hang out, you can't. Is something going on that I need to be aware of? Are you okay? Like, I love even starting with that. Are you okay? Is everything okay? And, and just having a very low-level, calm conversation because then it allows the person to really clarify and express where they're at. Maybe they'll say, yeah, you know, I've, I've been burnt out a lot and I'm being set boundaries. Or, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. I notice that you often ask for help, but you never seem to be there when I need it. Can we talk about that? Notice my languaging and my tone. It's calm. It's not accusatory. It's not aggressive. It's safe to answer. So it's really about nuance. We have to ask ourselves and we have to ask others. So it's a conversation. You know, but it's an important thing for us to keep looking at. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, what is one thing that you'd recommend doing before getting on the dating scene? I've heard people update their social medias after breakups, but is there anything else you'd suggest? That's an interesting question. Before getting into the dating scene, well, yeah, I, I want people to Google and look at who these people are before they go on dates or while they're dating them. You know, our social media is our marketing and advertising, and you should scroll through social media and say, is this the way I wanna market and advertise myself to the world, to employers, to family members, to people that don't know me? And if it is, cool. And if it's not, change it and take it down. I've, I've gone through people's profiles with clients and I've said, wow, you know, every photo you're drinking, is that what you want to communicate? That you're a heavy drinker. If, if you are, then great. And if you're not, then don't. Like we really look at what these things are communicating because our social media is a marketing tool, 100%. And understandably, people do and should hold us accountable to what we're putting out there, right? So just make sure it's really who you are. And the same thing with their dating profile. Don't, don't sell a dream and misrepresent yourself. If you're sober, say you don't drink. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're not outdoorsy, say not really into the outdoors or put it in the affirmative, post what you do like to do. I'm not very outdoorsy. So when I was on dating profiles back in the day, mine would say what I like to do. I like concerts. I like museums. I like galleries. I like bookstores. I like traveling to new cities and wandering around. I like coffee shops. Um, you know what I mean? I, like you put, you put who you are and what you do like to do. You know, it's funny in California, everyone likes to hike, blah, 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 blah. It's like, if that's your thing, cool. But if not, don't, but look at your social media and just make sure you stand behind that because smart people will Google and they will look, or they'll ask for your handle 
to just get a sense of what your world's like. Social compatibility is real. Social compatibility is important. You know what I mean? Not everyone is going to be compatible on those levels. You might think they're hot, but are you guys going to want to do the same things on the weekends? Um, will you enjoy spending time with each other's friends? I'm thankful that we have social media so we can explore. I know, again, back when I was single, I would I learned a lot about people I did not want to go on a date with based on looking at their social media and seeing what they do with their downtime, what their ethics are. I mean, ethical compatibility is a real thing too. If I went on someone's page and it was all Trump supporters or all lives matter, it would never work. I won't I won't date people that are bigots or support violence, you know? And um, it's important, like I don't drink, I'm plant-based. So I put that out there. If someone's not sophisticated enough to be able to tolerate living in the world in other creative diverse ways, it'll never work, you know? So just be yourself, honestly. Uh, people think dates and dating's about putting forward your best self, yes. But often what people do in trying to put forward their best self, they put forth a false self. And that's not what we wanna do. That throws us off. That doesn't help us really assess early compatibility and chemistry. And like, you need to know those things. Um, those kinds of things really, really, really matter. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with that have struggled with being sober and dating someone who parties or someone who parties, dating someone who doesn't drink or someone outdoorsy, dating someone indoorsy. And again, dating is about exploring all that, figuring all that out. But you know, our social media helps kind of eliminate some of that confusion on the front end. Um, trying to think though, um, other than that, something that I recommend before getting on the dating scene, just check your, your general dating readiness. Are you willing to really go out there and try? Are you willing to, when in doubt, go out and find out? Are you willing to put your ego aside and not thinking you exactly know what you need? Um, are you willing to go up against social norms and date people that are taller or shorter than you're comfortable with and larger bodied or smaller bodied and just really looking for true love, which comes in shapes and forms that we can't even expect, right? Um, are you willing on working on being a caring, compassionate person? But the number one part of dating readiness, I'd really say is, are you willing to lovingly hurt someone and let them down if you realize through dating them that you're not interested or compatible? And if you're not willing to send a breakup text or do a breakup call, then you are not ready to date and you should find ways to practice building the confidence to do those things. Because that's often the most harmful thing we can do to people is not take responsibility for ending appropriately and honestly what we start. And the ghosting and all of that is not okay, it's not kind, and it doesn't speak well of you. So moving into the new year, we're being better about that. So that's really what I'd want, is people to really be better about assessing their dating readiness. All right, y'all, that is our show. If you got a DM for us, drop in our Loveline IG page. Uh, tomorrow, we're gonna talk about how we know when it's time for us to see a therapist. We've talked before about others, how to get them into therapy, but we're gonna be looking at us and then we're gonna be talking about the difference between love and abuse because some people have conflated the two and those two things are very separate and cannot coexist. Thanks for hanging out, y'all. Hope you can spend the rest of your night with a little bit of joy and pleasure and tons of self-care and uh, see you tomorrow.